Hi everyone, this is Allison. And this is Courtney. And you are listening to Murder Porn. Yay! (laughs) We are dragging ass, but we still have the best fucking sound effects ever. This is our third episode. Yes, and actually this episode is an episode that I literally decided to do yesterday afternoon on this topic while I was watching um a a documentary (laughs) and snuggling with the baby cats that i'm fostering (laughs) my little kitten blanket and murder docs and literally could ask for nothing better in life right yeah oh and i had coffee it was a good day it was a good start to my day yesterday (laughs) have i ever told uh, this totally random thought but like have i ever told you your couch looks like the comfiest fucking couch in the world it 100 percent is yeah but it's from ashley it's called the Sevesto. I don't think they make it anymore. And I think the reason they don't make it anymore is because it's built like a piece of actual fucking trash. Like, half of the seats are sagging. The mm. cushions go flat really easily. So we put, like, extra foam in them. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting ready to literally take half the couch over to this furniture repair place and have them, like, repair it. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. don't order from Ashley. I've... If I you need do, to buy a new couch. Buy the warranty. Okay. If you do, buy the warranty because then they'll fix it or repair it for you or replace it for you. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy the warranty because it was like the beginning of COVID and, mm-hmm. you know, the markets were down. So my income was down and yeah. nobody really knew what they were doing. But I knew that I wanted a new couch yeah. because if we were going to be at home for two years, which we didn't know two years at the time. No, we're only thinking like a, like a month. Yeah. So I ordered a new sofa, but I ordered it just in the nick of time so that, you know, like other people had the same idea and it ended right. up being like a two year waiting pre- period for furniture. Mm-hmm. I, get, I got mine in like four weeks. So that's how early on I ordered mine. Yeah, we were. So like I said, we we're looking for a new couch and we looked at Ashley and which is expensive. And I know it's good furniture. But the thing is, is that like I had heard that the wait time is like ridiculously long. It depends long. on the piece. Yeah. Um, Whims and Wishes is a little more expensive, but mm-hmm. their shit is better built and they're fully stocked and ready to go right now. Oh. So you might take a gander. There was a place um, down where we used to live that has Amish like owned. Oh, uh, and of yeah. course, it's like all overly priced, super expensive, but it's going to be good quality. Hell yeah, it'll last forever. So we thought Will about... Will they deliver here? I mean, I don't, it's not even so much important that, like, it be delivered here, but, like, we thought about ordering from them. Like, a couch. I would. I don't. If it's the style that you want. Well, I wanted a sectional, but the thing is, is that, like, a sectional from them would be, like, yeah, crazy. You know what you should do is look at, um, Macy's. Macy's right now, or every once in a while, will have a sale, and their like really high end furniture will be on sale for like a really fucking good price. Yeah. So just take the measurements and like read the measurements, and then you call them and order it. And if you put it on a Macy's card, you get an extra like so much off, I think. Mm. Which I think that department store credit cards are the devil. They're all like 30 fucking percent. It should be criminal how much interest they charge on those. <laughs> I'm serious. It should be outlawed. It's, it's true. Anyways. Um, 
So this is the third story <laughs> that we're recording today. It's yeah, and we are so sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Total side note: I was like thinking this as we were doing the last, like the last episode. Part of me wonders since we like plug like we do current events and plug like other like books and stuff. Part of me wonders if maybe like we should kind of like space out what we're listening and watching and stuff and then like spread it out from episode <laughs> to episode probably accurate. <laughs> because then we have a ton yeah um and then nothing <laughs> you ain't wrong boo <laughs> <laughs> i just thought i was like thinking that and i was like maybe i should say something but now we're now we're recording, and we just the talk, thought just occurred to we me. We just talk, and we talk, and we talk, and whatever comes out, comes out. It's just like word vomit, so. Also, totally, totally unrelated, because we had just talked about two serial killers. It, like, I started thinking about how when I was a kid, I used to think serial killers were people that killed people in serial. <laughs> people in serial? Yes, they killed, like, serial killers were people that killed other people in cereal like they like were drowned them. <laughs> like oh my god courtney <laughs> courtney <laughs> that was me as a kid i'm so glad you've grown a few brain cells since then <laughs> oh my god i would not be nice to young courtney right now i was like i literally don't care four or five okay <laughs> okay maybe four Maybe four, but at five, you better fucking know the difference. I, I, well, I mean, like, at five, like, well, remember in Mikey, the, the, was he Chex? The kid who, like, they uh, said, oh, they yeah. said that he ate Mentos and then drank a bunch of Pepsi and his stomach exploded or something like that, oh. but it's not true. He's actually yeah. still alive. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um. That's, that's. Yeah. yeah, we're dragon ass kiddos. Totally embarrassing story. Just needed to tell it. Yeah, no, now y'all I've got know. so many stories about thinking that the words to songs were different than what they were, mm-hmm. and like what I thought they were were fucking hilarious. But I can't remember any of them right now. But it was quite funny. Or like words that I still, I songs I still don't really know the words to, but I <laughs> sing it anyway. Right. My my daughter, I I know that these are not the words, okay? But you know at the beginning of The Lion King where Yeah. Yeah, I don't know the words either, but it's okay. so much fun to sing. Um Un-way-o. You get to the you get to the one part where they're like singing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the words are, but I always say, I think I got a penguin on my bottom. I think I got a penguin. <laughs> wrong that's what it sounds like i and that is why it's so fucking funny my daughter and i will like go around and we'll all of a sudden go i think i got a penguin on my butt that's hilarious oh and you that reminds me one of the songs is um and i know these aren't the words but i always sing hold me closer tony danza <laughs> instead of tiny dancer mm-hmm. and then another one is um 
revved up like a deuce in the night. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I always thought it was a douche. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand. What's it mean? Well, a deuce is a type of car and revved up. They're talking about an engine. But mm-hmm. I thought it was talking about like a lady and a douche. <laughs> so that's that. Also, douches are bad. Don't use them. They kill good bacteria and bad. That's my PSA for the day. Women's health. Woo. It's true. The vagina is a self-cleaning oven. That's what I was... Just like your ear balls. Yeah. Anyway. So... (laughs) Pass around the knowledge. Maybe help a person or two. I think I got a penguin on my back. If you don't, I swear I'm going to throw Larry the Llama at you. (laughs) It's funny. You'll never listen to that song the same way. You just ruined Lion King for me. I know. You're welcome. (laughs) Also, like, the original fucking Lion King is bomb. Jonathan Taylor Thomas mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. like, the biggest heartthrob. Your oh. phone is really doing yeah. it today. I'm sorry. My husband wants to know if you want mocha, hazelnut, vanilla, or whatever they have of a double shot. Hazelnut. Thank you. We're getting coffee. Because mm. we're dragging ass. It's... It's a thing. And now we're in a goofy mood because I'm sitting there singing, think I got a penguin on my bottom. Think I got a penguin on From the day we arrived think I got a on penguin the planet. On my think I got a penguin and on my bottom. And blinking, stepped in <laughs> <Think> the <laughs> <sun>. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> my husband doesn't get here with this coffee soon i don't know what this show's gonna turn into but already we're off to a great start <laughs> anyway so maybe we should just start <laughs> oh, it's laying up no god damn it courtney <laughs> so that's what I, that's what i do with my cats sometimes i'll uh-huh. hold them out like this and just sing that song to them i do it with my kids don't worry <laughs> I used to do it with presenting them to the world. I used to do it with the babies. I'm like, (laughs) they're like, what is wrong with my mom? Literally everything. And and now they're as strange as me. So, wisdom right. (laughs) They'll definitely make some people laugh throughout their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Brandon's whole family is just really, like, funny, goofy. That's good. Yeah, they're the ones that introduced me to Grand Theft Auto, and we would, like, run people over. <laughs> you know, have you ever played Grand Theft Auto for, like, many, many hours straight and then actually had to get in a car and drive somewhere? No. Let me tell you how badly you want to just fucking run shit over. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Highly not recommended. <laughs> Highly not. I thought you were going to tell me it was like, it's like really trippy. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I know what you mean. No, it fucks you up. you like, oh, a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> then you want to get out and beat the shit out of her and take all her money. <laughs> and then run across the street and break into a better car. I just think it's funny to hire the prostitutes. Because if oh, you ever... One time we were at my neighbor's house and our nephew Vinny was like five at this time and he was playing Grand Theft Auto and we look over and he's like making the dude smoke a bowl. (laughs) 
I'm like, what the fuck? I didn't even know you could do this, and you are a kindergartner. I, I thought it was bad that um, I said to my husband, we just recently got my daughter an Xbox because she loves to play Fortnite, and I didn't know that was an Xbox game. I thought it was a computer game for some reason. Oh, you can or play like it. a phone game. You can play it on uh, Xbox. I think you can play it on PlayStation, and then uh, like does it transfer over though? So like your same. I think I think so. I don't really I know. I think so. The I think my daughter. Game, so. I think my daughter kept her account because she was on um, Nintendo Switch uh, there for a while because um, she wanted a Switch. So and she wanted it to play Fortnite, and then um, then she wanted Xbox so she could play Fortnite with us. Like she could teach us how to play Fortnite. And I said to my husband recently, I was like, maybe we should get her Grand Theft Auto. And, and then teach so her how to could, drive. So she could play with us. Because his dad plays and I play. and That's a lot of fun. Brandon it's plays. a family affair. Yeah. <laughs> Killing prostitutes is a family <laughs> And robbing people. Yeah. So. I was and pl- seeing how many cops you can get to chase you. And then you if you can elude them or not. Uh, you usually can't. <laughs> <laughs> I always run into shit in that game. I don't. I don't. I'm not good at it. So yeah. Um, the only video game I've ever been genuinely good at is Star, um, Super Mario 64, Super Mario Galaxy, and like every Guitar Hero and DJ Hero. Mm. Yeah. But also, those are very different on the Wii than they are on like the PlayStation or the Xbox. Like the timing is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm really good at it on the Wii because that's where I learned how to play it. But if right. you put me on a different platform, it's different. It's horrid. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the game that I was really good at. Destiny. I was really good at Destiny. I was really good at Neopets. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? I want a Neopet now. Yeah. Remember Tamagotchis? Uh, yeah. Do you remember... Okay, do you remember the the guy I dated in high school towards the end? You may. You may. He he was of a darker skin tone. Oh! Ter- ter- yeah, yeah, I was trying not to name his name. Sorry, no, he was a nice guy. I really yeah. liked him. So, he went on to, like, become a video game programmer. No shit! That's badass, dude! So... I bet you wish you married that motherfucker! <laughs> I well, don't know what happened between you guys, so I really don't. Well, anyway. Me, obviously, you were young. Well, anyway. So, he went, um. That's he, so fucking cool. He, he just plays games for a life. Like. I don't know what he does. I I think he still works, does video games. But anyway. So. What was his last name? Uh, it was pretty common. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Um, so. He helped when he was doing a internship on i think it was like littlest pet shop or something that's a phone game uh no it was like i think a computer game oh okay but anyway um at the very end like through the credits they wanted to like have the programmers like pictures of pets and he didn't have a pet so he put my cat in there oh so your cat's a famous my cat is at the end of there. Computer programmer with a man's name. <laughs> right? Not not his cat. It would be... That's cute, though. My cat. That's not funny. a cat cat downstairs, but a cat cat. 
Okay, Courtney, <laughs> calm down. I have, well, you know, my brain. My brain goes into the gutter, don't worry. Oh, same Z's. Yeah. Same Z's. Speaking of which, we recorded a trailer today, and I'm really excited about it. I think it turned out really well. And we hope that other true crime podcasts will plug us just like we will plug them. Yes. Which I have to give you that Google Drive. So you've got the files with the trailers from the other pods. Oh, yeah. So we could plug them on our thing. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, which I re- there's a couple I really like that I'd like to plug specifically. And then obviously we can move on. But anyway, so um, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and start this story soon. Now that we've just, <laughs> you know, shot the shit for it's fine. What? 16 minutes. That's all right. It's all right. Um, before we do, please, please, please take a moment to just hit the subscribe and follow button. Go ahead and like this. Rate it. Give us five stars, please, please. And share it with your friends, with your like-minded friends who also like to talk about dark things. Yes. Um, yes. All right. So this story I decided just last night to do. Well, just yesterday morning. And in that time, I listened to, I think, two different podcast episodes that were over an hour long each. And I watched a documentary on it. And I think I'm probably going to watch a movie on it tonight. But it is um, a story that we all know about, but many may not know, like, the intricacies of of what actually happened like we've all heard of the famous aftermath and the tale of one of america's if not the world's most famous murder houses but when did it gain its reputation and i can tell you definitively that the events of one single night set forth the sequence of events that launched this house into the stratosphere of pop culture and paranormal phenomena forever And that was the night of November 13th, 1974. But before we get into that, I want to lay the framework for like what led up to the fateful night. A story that will prove that you never really know what's going on inside a family. And the grass is rarely greener on the other side. You're looking at it. No, I'm trying to figure out what exactly, because I keep thinking it's like the Amityville Horror House. Oh! Okay. So on November 16, 1930, Ronald DeFeo was born to Rocco and Antoinette DeFeo. Later known as Ron Sr. or Big Ronnie, growing up, he was a tall, slender, and very handsome man. Louise Brigante was born almost exactly one year later on November 3, 1931. Her parents were a wealthy couple named Michael and Angela Brigante. And by all accounts, Louise was fucking stunning. Like, she even had a modeling career. So they were a very beautiful couple. Like, the kind that are in stock photos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Hold on. Pop in, pop in an Alani. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. You gotta do what you gotta do. I gotta stay awake. <laughs> That's why I've got my husband bringing us double shots. And and then I'm gonna have an Alani, and then I'm going to have heart palpitations. Yes, so. probably. Please don't die. <laughs> <laughs> so, Louise's father fucking worshipped the ground that she walked on. Like, like 
he was wrapped so tightly around her fingers. It was, like, incomparable. Like, so much. So spoiled. Such a Italian, like, princess, you know? Um, Louisa's parents... Oh, that is... So, sorry, kids. This has been a long day. So, her father worshipped the ground that she walked on. That is, until she met Ron. Louise's parents did not approve of Big Ronnie. He did not have the kind of job or money that they felt their daughter had grown accustomed to. And as it turns out, they should have been worried about a lot more than money when it came to Ron. After only a short period of dating, Ronald married Louise, and her parents were so pissed off that they literally excommunicated them. Yep. The shunning came to an end as the... Uh, many hard feeling as many hard feelings usually do when Ronald became a senior and he and Louise became first time parents and Ronald DeFeo Jr. was born on September 26th 1951 it was at this point in time that Mr. Brigante purchased a 5,000 square foot home at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville Long Beach New York or Long Island New York I'm sorry um, as a gift for his daughter and their growing family. So here's a 5,000 fucking square dollar square house on the water in one of the most popular suburbs of New York City. Little do they know it's not going to be such a great <laughs> gift. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Brigante did put a very large down payment of about 30% on the house for the DeFeos, which at this time, point in time was an unusually large sum of money. Uh, for a down payment at that time um, in order to make sure that big ronnie had the means to afford the mortgage payments on the home mr brigante also installed him uh as the owner manager of one of the brigante's otter dealerships So for 23 years, Big Ronnie and Louise portrayed to the world that they had a picture-perfect marriage, family, and home. They even hang hung a sign out front of their house, naming it High Hopes. Like, My husband's here with coffee! Woo! <laughs> Yay, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Oh my god, I'm dying. Love you, boo-boo. This is how podcast life. Cheers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I forgot how good those oh, are. Oh, man. It's just it's delicious. Okay. So they even hung a sign outside of the front of their house and named their house. And this is what the sign said. It said, High Hopes. It's like a white sign with black lettering on it. Although many people wondered how on earth a car salesman could afford the house he so loved to show off to his friends and neighbors. Most people just assumed, given the Jersey or given the near Jersey address and the Italian last name, that the reason they could afford their lifestyle was due to mob ties and mob money. <laughs> Later it was uncovered that those assumptions weren't just rumors in this case. <laughs> There were also some other things going on in the DeFeo family that were a little more obvious from the outside looking in. Big Ronnie DeFeo had a violent temper. 
a temper which he took out on his wife and children in the form of physical violence on top of emotional abuse. It was not uncommon for Louise to be seen with bruises as well as her children. And Ron Jr., whom they grew to call Butch, bared a large brunt of his father's anger and abuse, starting from a very young age. Hit, um, I think it was Louise's brother even stated that he witnessed at one time Big Ronnie lost control in, of his frustration and temper with Butch when Butch was around two years old. And Big Ronnie either threw or pushed Butch hard enough that when Butch hit his head as a result, it resulted in a fracture of his skull at two years old. Oh, my God. Yeah, so brain injury. Red uh-huh. flag, right? It's so sad that brain injuries are so... Yeah, sorry, I just had to take a sip of my coffee. Um, <laughs> um, soon joining the DeFeo family were four other children. Don... Allison, <laughs> Mark, and John Matthew. John Matthew was the youngest and final child for the DeFeos. And as Butch grew up, it is widely reported that he had serious mental health issues, likely in a large part due to the physical and mental abuse he endured from an early age. In addition to the abuse he suffered at home, as a result of the fact that he was overweight, something that wasn't common in this time period, he was also relentlessly bullied at school. Hmm. His own father made fun of him for being overweight. So there was literally no escape for him. Like, he had no safe split space. Mm-hmm. So sad. When Butch was in high school, he began drinking on a regular basis, taking amphetamines for weight loss, and experimenting with other drugs as well. It's widely agreed upon within the medical psychology profession that Butch suffered from intermittent explosive disorder, or IED. Basically, he was unable to control his anger, and he would just, like, explode randomly. And these fits could last for minutes, hours, days, you never know. You never know when it's going to happen, you never know why, and you never know how long. A comorbidity, or commonly related condition, was pathological lying. Butch was basically trying to self-medicate at this point. Mm -hmm. And also, if anybody knows anything about the 70s, like, mental health wasn't a fucking thing. Like, you don't go to a shrink, that's taboo. You don't take depression pills, that's taboo. Like, they're... Their thing was, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and just fucking go. Just do it. Manage it. Take care of it. Be a man. Mm-hmm. You know? Which is really sad. Really sad. In 1974, Butch admitted that he was taking amphetamines in the mornings to help keep his weight down because it kills his appetite and also to help wake him up. He was drinking scotch heavily all day long, and he was regularly doing LSD and had developed a significant heroin problem as well. Gosh. Yeah. Big Ronnie had given Butch a job as a salesman at the dealership, and even though Butch rarely showed up for work, Big Ronnie still made sure he got his paycheck every week. At this point, if Butch ever went home, it was to sleep and only to sleep. He spent almost all of his free time at a bar. On the morning of November 13th, 1974, Butch showed up early to work. He was strung out. He never showed up early to work either. Like, this was very rare. 
He spent a full day at the dealership, also very rare, which was just about as rare as him showing up early. <laughs> um, his dad never showed up at the dealership that day. Since this was the day um, that his brother Mark had physical therapy, he didn't really think it was too odd. Um, but Mark had been alternating between crutches and a wheelchair since he injured his leg and hip in a football accident. Um, Butch did try to call his parents at the house several times from the dealership throughout the day and try to check in on everyone, but he never received an answer or a call back. At the end of the workday, he closed up the dealership and then headed home. Shortly after he arrived home, he ran back out of the house and all the way to the bar where he was a regular. Around 6.30 p.m. on November 13, 1974, DeFeo, who was then 23, entered Henry's Bar in Amityville and declared, quote, You gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot, unquote. DeFeo and a small group of people then went back to his house at 112 Ocean Avenue, which was located very near the bar, and his friend Joe Yeswit went upstairs with him to the master suite and this is where they did find that both parents were dead inside the house of apparent gunshot wounds. Um, and then one of DeFeo's friends, Joe Yeswit, made an emergency call to the Suffolk County Police Department and I actually found the transcript of that call oh, yeah. um, but I didn't have it in my writing so I want to Pull it up and read it to you guys. I actually found this really great website called the Amity Files, and it's got literally like um, a diagram of the house layout and where the bodies were found. Oh yeah. Um, it's got police reports. It's got um, transcripts from calls. It's got a lot of stuff. It's really good, really good resource. Um, okay, so this is the nine one one call. Operator, Suffolk County Police, may I help you? Yes, wit. Huh? Operator, this is Suffolk County Police, may I help you? Yes, wit. We have a shooting here. Uh, DeFeo. Operator, sir, what is your name? Yes, wit. Joey, yes, wit. Operator, can you spell that? Yes, wit. Yeah. Y E S W I T. Operator, respells his name. Yes, wit. Huh? Operator. Y-E-S. <laughs> Starts to respell his name. He spells it again. Operator. What's your phone number? Yeswit. I don't even know if it's here. There's a... I don't have a phone number here. Operator. Okay, where are you calling me from? Yeswit. It's in Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and it's right off uh, Avenue in a Amityville. Operator. Austin? Yes, what? Ocean Avenue. What the? Operator. Ocean Avenue? Off of where? This fucking operator's a moron. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what? It's right off Merrick Road. Ocean Avenue. Operator. Merrick Road. What's what's the problem, sir? Yes, what? It's a shooting. There's operator. There's a shooting? Anybody hurt? <laughs> <laughs> yes, what? Huh? Operator, anybody hurt? Yes, what? Yeah, it's a uh, uh, everybody's dead. Oh God. Yes, what? 
er, operator, what do you mean everybody's dead? Yeswit, I don't know what happened. Kid come running in the bar. He says that everybody in the family was killed and we came down here. Operator, hold on a second, sir. Police officer now takes over the call. Police officer, hello. Yeswit, hello. Police officer, what's your name? Yeswit, my name's Joe Yeswit. Police officer, George Edwards? <laughs> oh my god. Yeswit, Joe Yeswit. Police officer, how do you spell it? What? I just, how many times do I have to tell you? Y-E-S-W-I-T. Oh my god. <laughs> Police officer, where are you at? Yeswit, I'm on Ocean Avenue. Police officer, what number? Yeswit, I don't have a number here. There's no number on the phone. Police officer, what number on the house? Yeswit, I don't even know that. Police officer, police officer, where are you at? Ocean Avenue and what? Yeswit, in Amityville. Call up the Amityville police and have someone come down here. They know the family. Police officer, Amityville. Yeswit, yes, Amityville. Police officer, okay, now tell me what's wrong. Jesus Christ. Yes, this is fucking terrible, like. Yeswit, I don't know. Guy come running in the bar. Guy come running in the bar and said there his mother and father are shot. We ran down to the house and it's everybody in the house is shot. I don't know how long, you know. So, uh, police officer, uh, what's the ad? What's the address of the house? Yeswit, uh, hold on. Let me go look up the number. All right, hold on. Yeswit, hello? Police officer, yes? Yes, what? 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville. Police officer, one what? 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville. Police officer, is that Amityville or North Amityville? Oh, great. Yes, <laughs> Amityville, right on south of Merrick Road. Police officer, is it right in the village limits? Yes, what? No, it's, uh, <sighs> you know where the high school is. Yeah. It's in the village limits, yeah. Yeah, that's the village limits, right? <laughs> yes, what? Yeah, police officer. And eh, okay, what's your phone number? Yes, what? I don't have one. There's no number on the phone here. Police officer. All right, where are you calling from? A public phone? Yes, what? No, I'm calling right from the house because I didn't see a number on the phone. Police officer. You're at the house itself? Yes, what? Yeah, police officer. How many bodies are there? Yes, what? I think, uh, I don't know. I think they said four. Police officer. There's four? Yes, what? Yeah. Police officer. All right, you stay right there at the house and I'll call the Amityville Village PD and they'll come down. Yes, what? Okay. End of call. So, first of all, there's been way more than one case where I've been extremely fucking frustrated with the 911 operators. <laughs> and this is one of them. Because holy shitballs, Batman. <laughs> Good God, how many times that... Like, also things What's that your number? How do you spell like, your name? Also things that didn't fucking matter. Like, who cares how they spell his name? <laughs> who fucking cares what his phone number is? Your, your main job is to find out where the house is and what's going on there. And dispatch. Right? <laughs> Little did they know, there's, you know, somebody's still alive there and they died in that time frame. Yeah. Well, I mean, and another thing that really bothers me about this is literally, like, the entire fucking patronage of the bar has now been inside that house, which is a crime scene. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's fun. And then, on top of that, 
The police arrive, and the entire fucking police squad ends up in that house, which is a crime scene. Yeah. 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 So, um... Great police work. Within ten minutes of Yeswitz's call, Officer Kenneth Grigoski of the Amityville Village Police Department arrives at 112 Ocean Avenue. And by now, the men were all grouped in the front yard trying to comfort Butch, who was sobbing uncontrollably about his parents and his family. He screamed at them that he was not going back in that house. And he, like, pounded his fists into, like, another person as he was saying this. And he said, my mother and my father are dead. Um, finally convincing Butch to come back inside, the men re-entered the house and sat DeFeo at the kitchen table. Oh, God. <laughs> After Gregusi inspected the scene, he immediately called police headquarters to report the murders. Detectives and police officials came in swarms, followed by legions of reporters and curious locals stunned by the, tra- the tragic news. So... They entered the house to investigate what was going on, and the scene that they found was much, much worse than anyone could have ever imagined. Um, Upon arriving, like I said, the officers found the front door unlocked. Mm -hmm. Inside the house, it was dark, and they said it was just, like, eerily quiet and still. The family dog, Shaggy, he's a sheepdog... He began barking at the men as they entered, and then um, they tied him up inside the kitchen, like, inside the kitchen's back door. Bobby Kelsky led the group of men upstairs, up the staircase, and this is a, a police officer, Bobby Kelsky, up the staircase to the master bedroom on the left, switching on the light... The men were met with a horrifying scene, exactly as Butch had warned. They peered upon the lifeless bodies of Ronald DeFeo Sr., who was only 43 years old, and his wife, Louise DeFeo, 42, together sprawled out on their beds, a bullet hole and a dried stream of blood visible on Ronald's back. Louise's body was buried beneath a blanket, and they were both face down. Soon after the men discovered the bodies, they continued to explore the house, and what they discovered was that all of the DeFeo children, except for Butch, were also murdered. The bodies of Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew were all found seemingly shot in their beds while sleeping, and every single one of them was laying face down. Hmm. Yeah. The victims were Ronald Jr.'s parents. Ronald DeVeo Sr., 43. Louise DeFeo, Ney Brigante, 43. Uh, Don, 18. Allison, 13. Mark, 12. And John, 9. They, all were, they were all shot with a 35 caliber lever action Marlin 30, 336C rifle. Around 3 o'clock in the morning of that day, the witching hour. Yeah. Yep. The DeFeo parents had both been shot twice, while the children had all been killed with single shots. Physical evidence suggests that Louise DeFeo and her daughter Allison were actually awake at the times of their deaths. 
Here's some things that are kind of weird, though. One, they're all face down. Mm-hmm. Two, how do you not hear a noise and wake up? You don't yeah, hear I was a gunshot and then and then not wake up. So that maybe that's why her mom, their mom, was awake. So that's two gunshots from the dad. Mom probably woke up. Two gunshots for mom. So that's four gunshots in total, and not a single one of those kids got out of bed. Yeah, that doesn't... And neighbors didn't report hearing anything either. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, how did they not hear the guns going off? I don't know. It's crazy. Um, let's see here. The DeFeo parents... Oh, no, we know. They were shot twice. Physical evidence suggests that Louise DeFeo and her daughter Allison were both awake at the times of their death. So those are the only two that possibly heard the gunshots and... And... Woke up. But Allison didn't get out of her bed because she was still found face down. And the mom didn't move either. She was buried under blankets. So who knows if she actually was sleeping that way buried under blankets or if she had woken up... And he shot her and then felt bad and covered her with the blankets. You don't really know. Like, they don't. Yeah. No. Uh, the six victims were later buried in St. Charles Cemetery nearby in Farmingdale following a Catholic funeral with over 300 attendees. It was clear that this crime had rocked the entire community. After the murders were discovered, Butch was taken to the local police station for his own protection because he suggested to police officers at the scene of the crime that the killings had been carried out by a mob hitman, Louis Fellini, who was a very popular, like, fixer for the mob, essentially. Um, After some investigation, it was discovered that Big Ronnie was tied to the mob. He was kind of their go-to guy for having cars crushed and weapons melted down. Mm -hmm. Um... But an interview at the station soon exposed some pretty serious inconsistencies in uh, Butch's series of events. Um, And the following day, he confessed to carrying out all the killings himself. And Fellini, the alleged hitman, actually had an alibi proving he was out of state at the time of the killings. DeFeo told the detectives, quote, Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. He admitted that he had taken a bath and redressed and detailed where he had discarded crucial evidence such as bloodstained clothes, the Marlin rifle, and the cartridges before going to work as usual. Ronald DeFeo Jr. was swiftly charged and tried for murders of his entire family. He did attempt uh, an insanity fence, telling him that voices in his head made him do it. Mm-hmm. But he was declared legally sane enough to stand trial and he was sentenced to life in prison there are a couple issues that um some of the podcasts that i use as reference go better into detail for but essentially um the police office like the police station who interrogated him i mean it shows that they had him there for protection for over 48 hours And they've also been um, found to have tortured people into confessions in the past, essentially, or beat them into confessing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that's a major issue with this as well. 
So Ronald DeFeo Jr. was charged and tried. Um, he was sentenced to life in prison. But the aftermath of these murders is what spiraled this case into infamy. After sitting vacant for around a year, George Lutz and his new wife, Kathy, purchased the house for a steal at $80,000. So $80,000 buys them this beautiful 5,000 square foot house with a double, with a two car garage and a boathouse and a pier and waterfront access. Mm -hmm. That's a fucking steal. Yeah. They were made aware of the crimes that took place there and decided that it was too good of a deal to pass up, even if it would stretch their bank accounts to the absolute maximum. So they have admitted that they couldn't really afford this house, even at the deeply discounted price. But because it was such a good deal, they did it yeah. anyway. And this was back before credit scores were a thing, I believe. So yeah, credit they scores just had to make sure they had enough income, right? Yeah. So, um... The fact that the, this is the most fucked up part of the whole thing. The fact that the house came almost fully furnished down to the beds and most of the bedrooms made their decision a lot easier as they would have they would not have to purchase furniture to decorate that house. The beds were still there? Yeah, in case you haven't jumped to this conclusion on your own people, that furniture is the same furniture that the DeFeo's purchased to decorate that home. And those beds were the same exact beds in which the entire family was murdered. Yeah, the, no. The Lutzes <laughs> had no problem, no problem sleeping in these beds. That's a no. That's a fuck no. That's a hard pass. <laughs> I would probably burn the things. I would want none of that furniture in my house. I don't. None of no, it. No, but There's the beds. There's too much bad juju. The beds in general. Yeah. First yeah. of all, like, just biohazardous, like, Yeah, material. that's disgusting. Yeah. You're supposed to actually, yeah, you're supposed to dispose of it in a specific manner. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a no. Concur. So in an effort to clear the negative energy from the space and to begin with a clear and promising start in their new home, they had their priest come in to bless every room of the house. The priest stopped halfway through and left the house looking as pale as a ghost. It turns out that when he was blessing one of the rooms on the top floor. Uh, hold on, I'm missing a page. The room that once belonged to the youngest of the DeFeo children. The priest believed that he had seen a demon manifested in the form of hundreds of flies covering the surfaces of the room. When the priest brought this up later, the Lutzes stated that it was only being used as Kathy's sewing room so it was no big deal and that they would call somebody about the flies. <laughs> the Lutzes left the Ocean Drive house in a hurry after only living there for 28 days. They left all of their worldly possessions there and they refused to ever go back. They told a few close friends what happened in that house, including blood oozing from the walls and a vividly painted red room that was hidden beneath the basement stairs and covered in pentagrams and other demonic symbols. The what? story the Lutzes told in the aftermath of the DeFeo family murders caused a pop culture reaction that no one could have predicted. The quiet Amityville street became cluttered with bystanders and media personnel all trying to catch their glimpse of the possessed house. 
Eventually, the Lutz family contacted a writer so that they could set all the rumors straight and tell their story of the 28 days of horror that they spent inside the Ocean Avenue home as it as they remember it happening to them instead of this telephone reaction that they were getting through the media and other people telling the story. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm sure the money for the book deal didn't hurt. In fact... Well, yeah, because they probably lost all their... I mean, they lost all their money, and it's probably perfect. Yeah. So, um, I should mention that there was a recording that was found between their publisher... Um, their writer and them and basically it was saying that they needed to fluff up the story and editorialize it we'll say to make it more interesting and appealing and a better book and a better movie and how much money they could possibly make off of this so Mm -hmm. they bought this house they couldn't afford they left it with nothing they moved to California by the way and San Diego, which is one of the most expensive places to live. It's very unaffordable. Yeah. Um, and and then they did this book deal and this movie deal. And honestly, like, they will go down in history for this, like, big time. They already have. Yeah. Um, I've always heard that the Amneville story is just... It's made up. It's, it's made all up. crap. Yeah. So, on top of that, in an effort to try and exercise the house of its hauntings and suspected demons, there was a parade of clairvoyants and mediums and, you know, other paranormal specialists and experts that came in and out of this house. But perhaps the most famous of those I know exactly who were demonologists say. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask for any money for it. They just asked them to pay for the gas. And they for sure found some evil shit in that house. And it is, goes down today as one of the houses that they felt that they did not successfully clear and exercise. Um, but if you guys don't know who Ed and Lorraine Warren are, I put George and Lorraine Warren. That's wrong. Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren are... Um, there's basically like half of the fucking movies that have come out in recent that are horror movies yeah. involved cases that they were directly involved in and actually they are portrayed in and that would include the conjuring mm-hmm. that would include um annabelle mm-hmm. that would include the amityville mo- movies there's just so many i can't even name them these people were crazy but they do have a book it's called the demonologist it's a good read there's a lot of typos in it, which kind of irritated the shit out of me, but it's a good read. It talks about their life and the cases that they handled and stuff. I don't know. You don't have to really believe in that stuff to think that it's interesting. I mean, these two people made their life off of this. Like, this is what they believed in. Yeah. And that's fine. This is about America. You want to believe in that shit? Cool. If you want to pay somebody else to come exercise that shit? Cool. Like, whatever. It's your money. Do what you want. I don't know. I've just heard some things about the Warrens that just doesn't set well with me. Like what? Um, like I've heard some things about Ed and like, I want to say that I heard that there was like an incident with like young girls or really, or maybe like, maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I've just also heard that like a lot of their, their stuff is just over dramatized. Like, so, you know, that movie that just came out a couple years ago about um the devil made me do it 
Oh, yeah. That's a great movie. That's a true story. Yes. Uh, some of the families have come out about that. Or, like, some of the family members mm-hmm. have come out about that and said that the Warrens just totally, like, they believed that the boy, they're the person that was possessed. They testified in court. Yeah, the person that was possessed um, had a mental health issue. Oh, for sure. And He had a mental health break. Yeah. 100%. And that the Warrens just capitalized on it and then said that it was possession. Um, but I, the Warrens never asked to be paid for anything. All they ever asked for was gas money. Not, their, not money for their time. But they did write about it. Yeah. There have been movies made about it. I don't know if the Warrens or their estate have profited in any way off of these but yeah the clout before there was clout yeah no for sure that's they used it as clout that's how i've viewed it is that maybe they didn't ask for the money directly but they used it to get the attention yeah and therefore profited off of it later yeah maybe i think they knew i think they they were pretty good at knowing i don't know i just don't i don't really trust them i do I have a complete opposite, yeah. I guess, opinion than you do. But that's okay. Yeah, it's okay to have different opinions. I yeah. just That's just how I feel about it. Like, particularly if people, like, family members are saying that they definitely blew it up way differently than what it was. Well, did the, lo- did the Warrens blow it up? Or did the movie makers blow it up? Or the book writers blow it up? I think and it was... And they're blaming the Warrens. I think it was more... Because I, I looked into the actual story of what happened behind, you know, the devil made me do it. Because I was genuinely interested, like, did this... It's like one of the first and only crime cases yeah. where a person basically pled innocent by way of demonic possession. Yeah. And, which, it, that didn't fly. <laughs> no, it did. I was always, like, I, when I researched it, I read it as it didn't fly very well they told him try again yeah well he should have pled innocent by way of insanity and it would have been a completely yeah. different story from but. my from what i remember they told him to try again yeah <laughs> i don't i don't remember but so it was I like i want to say it was like over two years ago i researched it um, i could be wrong yeah but no, I, I just remember remember finding that case super fascinating as well but yeah yeah, I just remember the family members saying that the Warrens, it was not the way that the Warrens portrayed it in at all. And I guess that the family members are saying it's not that way. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, so first of all, the book Amityville Horror is a really fucking good book. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking good. But there are people who have literally picked that book to pieces and pulled out things that were like false. Like, the priest, when he, like, came to um, bless the house, it says that on his way home, the hood of his car just randomly flew up and blocked his windshield, and he couldn't see, and he was going, like, 75 miles an hour on the freeway. Well, it turns out that the specific make and model and year of the vehicle he's saying this happened to, the hood actually opened the other way. So they're saying that that couldn't happen. Hmm. Does that make sense yeah. to you? But there's, like, a, other things that they, like, picked apart, too. I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely think that it's been embellished. 
I don't think for one fucking second that the wells were oozing blood. Um, Do I think creepy shit probably happened in that house? Yeah. Do I think that house probably has some fucking negative energy? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Those things I believe in. Those things, those things I think could be true. For sure. Anyways, after all the exorcisms and clairvoyance and clearing of the energy in the house, the Lutzes still refuse to re-enter the home. Ever. Ever. I would too, by the way. In order to regain some of their basic possessions, George Lutz had some of his biker friends go to the house and get it for him. They were all skeptics, and they attested to the fact that the house seemed eerily calm and relaxing when they went back to help their friends. You would never know that it was ever possessed by demons or built on an Indian burial ground or any of the other things that it was rumored to be. In fact, they all sat around and, like, ate lunch and shot the shit and drank a little before they took the stuff and left. Like, they said it was calm and relaxing. So, I don't know. because nothing was happening. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think they could afford it. They let it go back to the bank. Um... I think it's a possibility that maybe what happened is they had a couple weird things happen and they let it scare them. Yeah, maybe. And then not only that, there was probably some financial stuff going on, obviously. And so they were just like, fuck this, we're out. Yeah, maybe. Um, Maybe, but I also think that there's a potential that the moment that they saw that house... And they knew the story behind it. They could have they could have immediately developed a plan. Oh, they probably could have about how they were going to capitalize off of it. And I oh, think yeah. it just turned into something that they never imagined it could have been. Um, so, yeah. When it comes to Ronald DeFeo Jr., there's a lot of speculation about whether or not he was sane. I think no sane person does what he was convicted of doing Mm -hmm. no person is sane after the drug and alcohol regiment and abuse that he's been subjected to either Mm -hmm. like and he is right in that age range where a lot of mental health issues start to manifest themselves at the age of 23 yeah and if you combine that with um you know inherent drug use uh head head wounds or head injuries tbis or whatever um you're not going to have, <laughs> you know, a good outcome. And then you mix into that the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to fucking snap. So, on the top on top of the questions of his sanity, there are confirmed ties to the mob. So, if you want reasonable doubt, here is a little reasonable doubt for you. There are serious allegations against the Suffolk County Sheriff's Department about how they beat and tortured suspects into confessing crimes they never committed as well. Mm-hmm. Butch did end up changing his story several times. His story changed several times. He went from having nothing to do with it, being hysterical and crying on his lawn, to he did it, but the voices in his head made him do it, to he did it, but he was possessed by a demon that made him do it or something like that. So... Was he tortured into changing and confessing his story? Who fucking knows? Was it really a fucking mob hit and Louis whatever just wasn't the one who did it? Or his alibi was bunk? Who knows? Who knows? He was, you know, reportedly inconsolable when the police police arrived at his house and he refused to go back into the house that his family was murdered in. Is that from guilt? 
Yeah. Or is that from just sheer terror and shock? Right. And sorrow. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. I okay so first of all I want to draw a parallel between this house and the watcher house (laughs) because literally it's two families getting into a house that they can't afford and then I feel like they were turning it into something that it wasn't to try and get out of a mess that they put themselves in if that makes any sense right the second thing that I want to compare this to is um shit I forgot what I was gonna say sad it was good I don't know I just uh, I guess making a murderer like police fuck up all the time police frame people all the time this is an area of known heavy mob activity especially during these years with the Lucchese family Mm -hmm. um I don't know am I wrong thinking that maybe he was innocent and they fucking did all this he ended up being married three times. One of the marriages and divorces happened before he went to prison, which is part of the reason his dad took so much pity on him and gave him the job at the dealership, because he had a child produced from that relationship. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's a lot to think about, a lot to unpack when it comes to this case. But it wouldn't be the first fucking time that police beat somebody into confession that they didn't do it. I mean, it happened... Chicago PD got in big fucking trouble for that. Yeah. There was a case, I think I've probably talked about it before on here, and like, and I can never fucking remember what it is. I saw it somewhere on Netflix where they talked about this case and how it just ruined their family, but um, this little girl was home with dad and um, son and the mom was I don't some I want to say like a work trip or something and the little girl went missing and initially um they wanted to bring in the dad for you know just like oh hey you know I think I remember yeah you know exactly we what need, you're talking we about. need to we you know can you come in and talk to us and the, the guy's brother was like go in with an attorney yeah, and it's the smartest advice he probably yeah, was and ever he's given like, in his life. He was like, "No, I'm, I have nothing to hide." And the and he went in and he went in after work, so he had been working all day. Exhausted. So he was exhausted, and then they kept him. Yeah. And they kept him, mm-hmm. and they were questioning him, and they were basically like, "You know, you did this, and no, you just, you know, you you obviously like." you dropped her or you you shook her or like you you it was an accident we can help this you is a, a very specific tactic that has been used time and time again to literally mentally wear a person out yeah to the point where they are literally questioning their own reality right and and see that's the thing so i've i've even said this multiple times before like there's been multiple cases where i'm like these people lawyered up like i've said i've said it on tiktok where you know these people have lawyered up and you know you so scoff at it and think whatever and if people are want, like well obviously that that's suspect and i'm like so. no that's a rule really good one, idea don't talk to the cops rule number two don't talk to the fucking cops yeah rule number three keep your fucking mouth shut don't talk to the cops yeah. like <laughs> 
like people people automatically jumped on top of Brian Laundry. Well, also, don't take a fucking polygraph. Yeah, people automatically jumped on top of Brian Laundry. Well, obviously, we already know how that ended up. But was it wrong for him to like get a lawyer? No, that's his number one. That's one of his constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. Number two, that's really fucking smart. Especially since he was guilty as fuck. Well, yeah. But, like, if he had been innocent and gone and been interviewed and they just, like, hounded him and used the tactics that they use, like, with this poor father who didn't do anything to his daughter, but he confessed to murdering her, destroyed his family's life, destroyed, you know, his marriage, like... People still think he did it, even though they found who did it, mm-hmm. um, and had physical evidence that they, he had like. Didn't they find the, the little girl like in a like almost nearly completely dried up like riverbed somewhere? Yeah, it was like a river. Nearby, and it, then they found out that there was like an active pedophile. And then I know there the, was I know the case you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there was like a shoe print, mm-hmm. and then they were it was a very distinct shoe print, and they were able to track where the shoe print came mm-hmm. from, and found out it was like some other person, like a well-known pedophile. Yeah, somebody who was on the sex offender re- registry. Which, by the way, when a child goes missing, shouldn't that be the first fucking thing that you do after checking the house I don't know. and getting the facts? You should be like. Canvassing the neighborhood and identifying known sexual offenders. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I want to say, like, this guy would have had to take his, like, son to, like, dump her body. Yeah, no thanks. If I remember correctly, I don't know. I mean, kids are clueless, but still. Yeah, but anyway, I kind of want to find out what this case is and talk about it. Yeah, you should do it. Because I think about it a lot in regards to be careful what you say to people yeah and be careful like they they were were withholding like food and he was hungry and he was tired and at a lot of people think that they're too smart and they won't fall into this trap but these people these cops they're good Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing Yep, they're trained yeah they're trained for this they'll get a confession out of you it's bad training but it's training yeah so lawyer up Agreed. Agreed. So that's the end of the story today. And the resources that I used, there were quite a few. I used, um, let's see here, Wikipedia, allthatsinteresting.com, amityvillemurders.com, amityvillefiles.com, and that's where the transcript and then also a diagram of the house showing, like, where each of the family members were found dead. Um, and I also watched a documentary on Discovery Plus called Amityville Horror House by Shock Docs and listened to Killer Psyche, um, Ron DeFeo, The Real Story Behind the Amityville Horror House, and True Crime and Coffee, Episode 113, The DeFeo Family Murders. That concludes our session for today. Oh, missing. Missing kid. Oh, sorry. Um, Dakota Meeks. He went missing on September 11th, 2022 from Webster Groves, Missouri. Um, His date of birth is November 21st, 
2009, so he would be 12 years old. Well, coming up on 13. Because his birthday is tomorrow. Aww. Oh, poor baby. Um, male, black, brown hair, brown eyes, 5 foot 10, weighs 135 pounds. He was last, it just says he was last seen on September 11th, 2022. If they find him, if it's probably too late. I God, I hope it's, I have thoughts, but <laughs> like, I hope it's a situation where he just got involved with the wrong people and he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we always wish, right? Yeah. Or that he was stolen by good people that are taking care of him or, you know. That love him. Yeah. Family that maybe aren't telling 100% the truth that are trying to keep him from other fa- whatever. Anyway. Um, if you see Dakota, um, call nine one call nine one one or one eight hundred eight four three fifty six seventy eight, which is one eight hundred the lost, and that's the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's twenty four seven hotline. Um, or you can call Webster Grove Police Department, and that's one three. One three one four nine six five four zero two. Yep. We already talked about all of the things, but I did want to. I did want to have recommend um, a doc that I just watched last night, and that there's a couple other docu series episodes on the same case, but um, the Vanessa Guillen case. Hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen. Mm-hmm. She was a um, PFC in the army who was stationed at Fort Hood and went missing while she was on the clock at Fort Hood. Oh, I think And the military police basically were just like, she's AWOL, Mm -hmm. instead of looking for her and opening a case until the family just didn't shut up. They got the media involved. They got an attorney that helped them with the red tape. Turns out that uh, one in five women in the military report being sexually assaulted. Mm And unfortunately, the person that they report to is their commander. And nine times out of fucking ten, it's the commander who did the sexual assault. So they're reporting to the commander. And that commander determine, like, determines whether to investigate the case and whether to make a punishment. Obviously, they're not going to punish themselves and admit that they're guilty. Right. So basically, the family of Vanessa Guillen was trying to lobby Congress and President Trump to to create legislation that would remove crime investigation from the plate of responsibility of, um, you know, the hierarchy, the commandment, the, like, chain of command in the military to, like, a special committee of people who are, like, made to do that. Like, you can't fucking be a company that allows women to join in if you're not going to also protect those women that are joining. It's just fucked up, dude. Anyway, so during the course of looking for Vanessa Guillen, they actually found another guy's body that was determined to be AWOL before, but turns out he was fucking dead, too. And then they find out that the person who attacked her was another soldier. And he, he, when he killed her, got his girlfriend to fucking help take her body out into the woods, cut it up and oh, scatter yeah. and bury I remember it in three different now. places and light it on fire. Piece of fucking shit. And then, and then they arrested the girlfriend and 
um, they took this guy into custody, the military, and the guy who was supposed to be watching him, for some reason, didn't watch him, and he fucking escaped. He fucking escaped, it led to a chase, and when they caught him, he shot himself in the head. So hmm. he never got to face justice. Right. Anyways, that's basically the whole fucking story. But it's really good, her family's super passionate, and one of the most outspoken members of her family is only 16. It's her sister. Wow. It's very, like, it's inspirational that the youth of this country are truly going to inspire change. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. G- Gen Z's got it. Yeah, they do. They Gen really, like, showed up for this last election, too. So Yeah. Yep, so that's all I've got for this week did you have anything else you wanted to plug no all right guys you can listen to us on spotify podbean amazon music and audible google Podcasts, samsung podcast and apple podcasts you can email us questions comments concerns case recommendations tactful critiquing constructive constructive criticism, criticism. <laughs> um at murderpornpodcast at gmail.com you can visit our website at murderpornpodcast.podpeen.com. You can follow our Instagram at murderppodcast. And you can follow Courtney's Instagram at Courtney underscore Ann 0.1 and mine at Allison underscore Wonderland, W0ND3RLAND. Take a look at our merch on Teespring, which is in our link tree. And take a look at Courtney's TikTok at Courtney underscore Ann 1.0. And soon we'll also have a Patreon up so y'all can buy us a coffee because we need some caffeine on these days most of the time. Oh, yeah. Um, And also just contribute to us being able to purchase some new mics because ours are borrowed currently. Yeah, we've borrowed them for almost a year. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to have to give them back soon. Mm-hmm. Ish. Yep. Oh, and profits from merch will be going towards the same thing. Yeah. Um, we're not We're not trying to make a living on here. We're just nope. trying to sustain our podcast. Yeah, just need some contributions towards the production costs. I mean, we're getting to a point where we're both going to be working full-time jobs and trying to do this on top of it. So um, any little bit helps. Yeah. Uh, and we hope that you guys enjoy listening. Yep. And I think that's all we've got for today. Yep. All righty. Bye.